the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. In an uncertain economy, if you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to KirkElliottPhD.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, I'll discuss how the emerging police state destroys lives and families. Jerry Perna, the aunt of January 6th casualty Matt Perna, joins me. She'll talk about her nephew's tragic death and her role in the film. And security expert Mark Kahlberg, based in Israel, joins me. We're going to talk about Israel's security issues and the operation to permanently disable Hamas. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. Times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. Today is the, um, well, the final day for you to watch the movie Police State in theaters. As you know, we bought out hundreds of theaters on Monday, um, and we had a terrific opening Monday night. And tonight, Wednesday night, is your second chance to go. So if you didn't go Monday or if you went Monday and you loved it, you know what? Think about going again. And there's a lot in this film and you probably got a lot out of it, but you can get a lot more by by seeing it a second time. The um, There's still some tickets available, although some theaters are sold out. And the way you get tickets, policestatefilm.net, put in your zip code, theaters come up, Buy your ticket right there. You got to buy it on the website. You cannot go to the theater. You cannot get tickets at the theater itself. Now, if you want to watch at home, you will have a unique chance to do that. We have a marvelous program. It's called the Virtual Red Carpet Premiere. Uh, we fly to Las Vegas and do it out of a magnificent studio there. Uh, Forgiato Blow will perform the um, his song "Police State Survivor." Uh, which is in the closing credits of the movie, but he doesn't perform it. It's just the music. But here he's performing it live. We'll have a full screening of the film, a live Q&A with Dan Bongino and me to follow. And it's all for the price of a movie ticket. So it's kind of cool. You can watch it. You and your family can watch on Friday, October 27th. So the virtual premiere, uh, when you go to the website, policestatefilm.net, there's a little tab that says virtual premiere. Click and it'll take you right to where you can buy tickets for that now, the film is emotionally powerful and has, well, there are two kinds of people in the film. There are whistleblowers, informants, uh, who describe the architecture of the police state, how it's constructed, this kind of evil sausage-making factory, if you will. And then there are a lot of ordinary people, and I want to show their direct experience of the police state, because, quite frankly, if you haven't had the FBI come smashing through your door, you have no idea what that's like. And there's a human tendency not to believe it, not to believe it can happen to you, not to believe it could happen here, not in America. But it is happening, and a movie is the next best way 
to show you what that looks like and what that feels like. So there's a lot of emotional content in this movie, but I want to stress here that there's also a lot of intellectual content. There are questions examined in the movie that go way beyond where the current debate is. So I'll give a couple of examples of that to give you a, a flavor for what we talk about in the film. We have a police state here in America, and it has a lot of the common characteristics of other police states. But it also has some unique characteristics, and I want to highlight those. The first unique characteristic is rampant criminality in our cities. That actually is not common in police states. If you go to Pyongyang, you go to uh, Havana, you go to uh, Beijing, uh, you can't just start harassing, murdering people on the subway, accosting them and punching them. You can't even be a homeless guy who goes up to someone and starts grabbing the food off their plate. The cops will show up, they'll beat you to a pulp, they'll take you away. You'll probably never be seen again. So police states offer a certain weird kind of benefit, which is law and order, clean subways. And uh, yet we have a police state, an emerging police state, but we have dirty subways and dangerous subways and rampant criminality. So how is this rampant criminality consistent with having a police state? That question is examined and answered in the film. And here's another one. Police states normally have closed borders. Think about the Berlin Wall. Can't get in, can't get out. Um, or even, in some ways, the symbolic importance of the Great Wall of China. There's a restriction on people coming into China, and there's a restriction about what Chinese people can do to leave, to escape the tyranny, if you will, of China. Or China wants to follow you if you do. So how is it the case that we have a police state that doesn't seem to care who gets in? There's a porous border, a largely open border. Well, that's explained in the film as well. So... So Police State is a film with intellectual and emotional content, both. And I think that combination is really what makes a movie really powerful. You leave, you find it emotionally uh, wrenching, uh, and you understand the police state sort of at the level of deep feelings. Uh, At the same time, you are intellectually provoked. You're like, wow, um, I never thought of it that way. Uh, this film has put together things that I sort of had a sense were happening. I might even have known some of the general outlines, but it supplies the kind of particularity of detail and the comprehensive explanation of drawing all the threads together into a single narrative that is really powerful. So I'm very proud of this film. I have uh, said a couple of times before, not a film I was kind of wanting to make, But it's a film that really needs to be made and needs to be made, number one, for Republicans, for conservatives, some of whom are clearly living in denial. They're very much like the 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 wildebeest that doesn't want to believe that there's a predator in the trees uh, or a predator approaching or hiding around the corner. Uh, But it's also for the American people, because America is a country that is has never had this kind of experience of a police state. We always look for it abroad. We don't recognize a police state when it comes at us in a, an American accent and with kind of American slogans, a police state that claims to be wonderful, claims to be uh, on the side of truth and justice and the American way, a police state that says we are saving democracy and we are fighting for truth against misinformation and disinformation and we are impartially uh, upholding the law and we're even affirming freedom. Part of what I do in the film is I 
I rip the mask. I take the veils off of the police state so you can see its naked brutality. I bring it really up close and personal. And I think it, you will leave the theater with a sort of experience and with a feeling, uh, with an understanding that uh, surpasses that of any of my previous films. So to close out the website, the one-stop shop to get tickets, policestatefilm.net. Debbie and I had a New Year's resolution to lose weight, and thankfully, PhD weight loss came to the rescue. Debbie's already lost 24 pounds, I've lost 27, and take a look, I'm keeping it off. We're both now on maintenance, really happy about it. The program is based on science and nutrition, no injections, no pills, no long hours in the gym, no severe calorie restriction, just good, sound, scientifically proven nutrition. It's so simple, they make it easy by providing 80% of your food at no additional cost. They tell you when and what to eat, and guess what? You can do this without ever being hungry. The founder, Dr. Ashley Lucas, has her PhD in chronic disease and sports nutrition. She's also a registered dietitian. She helps people lose weight and, most important, maintain that weight loss for life. So if you're ready to take the step of losing weight like Debbie and I have, call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. The number, 864-644-1900. You can also find them online at myphdweightloss.com. Again, the number to call. 864-644-1900. I want to uh, welcome to the podcast Jerry Perna. Some of you will know Jerry Perna's name. She is the aunt of January 6th casualty, I will say, Matthew Perna. And she is also, uh, she is a very powerful, really emotionally riveting scene uh, in the new film, Police State. Uh, The website is rememberingmattperna.com. Uh, Jerry, um, thanks for joining me. We were just talking a minute ago about the very mixed feelings that you have. And, and, and I have also, uh, we're excited about this film project. You obviously are want to get the word out about Matt's story. Uh, and yet we can't look at this as an occasion for celebration because in your case, you're dealing with a death in the family. In, in, in the case of the movie, the movie is a sort of urgent warning, uh, to the country. Talk a little bit just about your, um, feelings about being in this film, which I believe you're going to see it in the theater tonight. Yes. Uh, we are going to see it tonight. And, um, I'm very proud to be part of the film, but it's, it's also a very bittersweet moment for me. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, a movie that, you're excited that it's out there, but you're sad that it had to be. Almost like a Schindler's List type of feeling. You know, you don't come away from the theater excited and happy and clapping. It's, it's a different feeling. And for my family, it's, um, it's quite difficult. Uh, I don't know if Matt's dad will watch the film, at least not now. I mean, there is a, um, in the closing scene of the film, we actually, we have, and I'm not really giving it away. It's totally fine. There is a, a solitary January 6th, uh, prisoner who begins to sing the national anthem. And then another guy joins him and another guy joins him and it goes into a chorus. And I've closed some of my earlier films with the Star Spangled Banner and it's normally triumphant and everybody gets up and sort of jubilantly sings. But I've noticed in the theater from, from Monday night's performance, that people are singing, but they are, they are singing with that strange mixture of, of, of affirmation and patriotism on the one hand, 
but also kind of a deep sadness on the other. I've never kind of heard the national anthem sung that way. And I think it is kind of a metaphor for where we are now as a country. I have to agree. I've seen several clips on Twitter of people who recorded the audience singing at the end. And you're right. It's a different tone altogether. And it's it's quite scary and it's quite sad. Um, Matt loved this country so much and he watched it just deteriorate and he's not here at this point to see how bad it's gotten but the direction we're going is is horrifying let's talk jerry about the crucial facts about matt's case uh matt went inside the capitol in january on january 6th but he was there Talk about how long he was in the Capitol. Talk about what, quote, official proceeding he obstructed. Uh, and then we'll talk about the charges against him. He was in the Capitol for 14 minutes and he was recording with his cell phone and he chanted USA, USA. He did not break anything or touch anything or harm anyone. And the charges originally were just the four misdemeanors that they charge everybody with parading and um, disorderly conduct and whatnot. And then they added the obstruction of an official proceeding. And we never quite understood that because we've been told by several experts that it wasn't actually an official proceeding, unlike last week when the protesters did, in fact, protest during an official session of Congress. And that seems to have been swept under the rug. And then at the last moment, the prosecutors said that they were going to add an additional charge. Talk about that and talk about the impact of that on Matt. Well, Matt had, you know, pled guilty to the initial charges and he was awaiting his sentencing hearing. And a week prior to the sentencing hearing, um, he was told by his attorney that not only had they postponed the hearing, but they, the prosecutors were looking to add a sentencing enhancement which could have increased his sentence to nine years in prison. It's almost like you plead guilty to A, B, and C, but we're going to pull D out during the 11th hour and try to convince the judge that you deserve more time. And, and that I'd, was just more than he could take. And Jerry, wasn't the enhancement a sort of a terrorism enhancement, as if to say that somehow Matt was part of a terrorist outfit that was trying yes. to... Uh, attack the Capitol. Yes, even though there was no evidence whatsoever that Matt was part of any group of any kind, he had posted a video after his, um, after he got back to his hotel room on January 6th. And in the video, Matt is very calm, cool, and collected. And you can watch the video on our website. And he says the words, Mike Pence proved himself to be a traitor today. And a couple sentences went by, and then he said, but don't worry, don't worry, this isn't over yet. Well, the this isn't over yet is what they focused in on, and um, that's exactly false as far as what they were trying to um, say that he was intending to cause additional harm or something. Matt was simply reiterating the fact that the election results would be examined and investigated and that's why he said that but they they twisted it let's take a pause we'll be right back with jerry parna nobody likes to live with aches and pains and now you don't have to 
Uh, Debbie and I started taking Relief Factor a couple of years ago, and we noticed an amazing, huge difference in our joints. Aches and pains are totally gone thanks to this 100% drug-free solution called Relief Factor. How does it work? Relief Factor supports your body's fight against inflammation. That's the source of aches and pains. More than a million people have tried Relief Factor. About 70%, the vast majority, have gone on to become regular customers. Debbie's a true believer. She can now do exercises that for a long time she wasn't able to do. So Relief Factor has been a huge game changer for her, her aunt, other members of our family, Mike here in the studio, and for many other people. You too can benefit. Try it for yourself. Order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of just nineteen ninety-five. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. The number again to call, 800-4-RELIEF or go to relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. I'm back with Jerry Perna, the aunt of Matt Perna, the website rememberingmattperna.com. Jerry, um, I, I cannot even describe what must have happened when you first found out that Matt had hanged himself in his garage and the impact on you, you describe in the movie. Uh, I'm going to let people watch it for themselves and, and sort of take it in because I think it, it brings them into the, the soul of someone who has suffered greatly because of this. But then I also think about Matt's dad. Uh, talk a little bit about him, your brother. Well, Matt's dad also lost his wife eight years before Matt passed to leukemia. And it's been a very difficult time for him, to say the least. And uh, my brother has two sons, and one lives um, very far away from him. So Matt was close to home, and Matt was the one that was there for Larry the most. And um, his his absence has been devastating for not only my brother, um, but our entire family and Matt's huge circle of friends that they just looked to him. He was the one that held everything together for everybody. And um, he's so sadly missed. It, it, the world is is not as bright without him. Jerry, describe the scene where you found the telephone number of the prosecutor and you decided, I'm going to give this guy a call. Talk about that. Um, a couple of months after Matt passed away, we had this giant box of paperwork from his attorney, its case. And I was going through and putting everything in order because it was given to us in such a manner. It was just a mess. And I was going through and putting it in chronological order. And when doing so, I came across an email from the prosecutor that was sent to Matt's attorney. And his phone number was on the email. And I just had this whim. I thought, you know what? I'm going to call this guy up. I, I just want to talk to him. I want to understand his justification for for this sentencing enhancement. So I called the number and I received a, I got a voicemail and I left a message saying who I was. And an hour and 15 minutes later, the phone rang and it was a um, operator telling me that I was on a recorded line with several witnesses and that the prosecutor would be joining the call. He came on and I again introduced myself and he said, well, let me just start off by saying that me, myself and many people in our department, which would be the Department of Justice, were very sad to hear that Matt took his own life. And I responded, well, yourself and the many people in your department are the reason Matt took his life. 
and I asked about the the sentencing enhancement, and he said, well, if Matt just could have waited another month, I don't think the enhancement would have stuck with his judge. And Dinesh, those words cut me like a knife. Because you're just basically throwing threats out there, not caring how it's going to affect the person, and then telling me after the fact that you don't think it would have stuck anyway. I mean, that must have been so bitter because... Because in a sense, it, it creates a sense of futility, right? Uh, in other words, Matt didn't even know that they were using this as a kind of legal ruse. And, and the reason I think this is really important is that this type of legal bludgeoning goes on all the time. I mean, we're seeing where they threaten you with A, B, C, D, and E. And what they're really trying to get you to do is, is, is essentially tearfully confess and sign right here and take a plea deal so that they can then go see the guy even admits himself that he's guilty. Isn't that the exactly. game that they play? It is. And they're doing that with all the January Sixers. And the thing about it is when they plead guilty because they know they're not going to receive a fair trial in DC. That segment of society that believes they are truly insurrectionists sit back and they say, see, they pled guilty. Obviously, they did it. Wow. Jerry, talk finally about the, I know this has been a source of real frustration for you because you you posted recently about this on X where, you know, you post about this, you tag a Republican congressman, you tag senators, and you've noticed a certain kind of wall of silence. I don't know if indifference is the right word. Well, how would you characterize it? And uh, and and talk a little bit about how people have not come uh, to the defense of Matt and the other January 6th defendants. I tag um, several of the Congress people, the more popular ones, per se, and they are silent. The silence is actually deafening. And I... I I'm disheartened by it. There are Congress people that I looked up to, ones that I trusted. I recently posted a photograph on X. It is a note, a piece of note paper with several Congress people's names and their phone numbers underneath. Matt's aunt on, on my sister-in-law's side of the family called these numbers weekly and never even once received a return phone call ever. The entire 13 months of Matt's ordeal. And so I'm, I'm disgusted with these people in Congress because they're ignoring it. It's like they don't want to talk. It is the elephant in the room as far as I'm concerned. And it's disheartening. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Um, Jerry, well, it was a real, uh, honor to have you in the movie. Um, I, I hope that the film is a transmission belt for getting the story out to many, many people. So at least there are Americans across the country and maybe some people around the world who will understand what happened to your nephew and understand what's happening inside this country. Jerry Perna, thank you very much for joining me. Once again, the website, rememberingmattperna.com. Thank you for having me on, Tanesh, and thank you for including me in your film. I am honored. Just recently, the G20 group of countries announced that it welcomed discussion of the effects of implementing a new central bank digital currency in their countries. Now, these 
Digital currencies are pretty alarming. They could allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain things or freeze or seize part or all of your money. Basically, it gives government control over your finances. Not good. Concerned Americans like me are diversifying our assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. Now, if you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold. Debbie and I are customers. We buy our gold through Birch Gold. But find out for yourself. Text Dinesh to 989898. They'll send you a free information kit on gold. No obligation, just information. And here's the easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer. If you have an IRA or a 401k from a previous employer, Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Dinesh to 989898. Claim your free information kit on gold. And call Birch Gold, because if digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. The situation in Israel continues to be a very precarious. Israel is striking back at the Hamas uh, targets. It might also be contending with a problem in the north. So in the north of Israel, you have Lebanon, You have the terrorist group called Hezbollah. Hezbollah is in many ways more powerful than Hamas. Hezbollah has all kinds of um, military capabilities that Hamas does not have. Hezbollah is a direct extension of the state of Iran. Now, Iran is funding Hezbollah. Iran is also involved with Hamas, but Israel is involved with Hezbollah to a greater degree. The Israeli full invasion of Gaza, which I believe is coming has not started yet. Uh, Debbie keeps telling me it's it's imminent, Dinesh, it's going to happen. There appears to be some attempt by the Biden administration to ask the Israelis to not to not do it, but rather to hold back, to wait, to allow for civilian evacuation, to also allow for attempts to secure the release of the hostages. And the Israelis, uh, at least from news reports, not just news reports here, but news reports in Israel, are getting a little bit impatient. They're like, there was this horrific attack. The world has fully seen what's going on. Um, we need to be able to, uh, um, I think avenge is maybe the wrong word, but nevertheless retaliate. There's nothing wrong with retaliating against this kind of a grievous wound inflicted upon the state of Israel and, of course, the decimation of so many Israeli families. The uh, Queen of uh, Jordan uh, issued a statement that I was sort of thinking about because because I've had a pretty favorable impression of the Queen of Jordan. I actually met her years ago at an event put on by the Aspen Institute in Colorado, uh, just so happened that I was at a dinner, uh, I was speaking, and she was sitting next to me. So we had a chance to talk the whole dinner. And um, and it seemed like a very refined and dignified person. And so I was like, I wonder what she's going to say about this. And what she said was, well, a little disturbing, not, not the worst thing in the world. In fact, not half as bad as what leftists in the United States are saying. Uh, she didn't say anything about the Israelis are colonialists or settlers. They had what's coming to them. Um, they didn't, she didn't say, you know, decolonization is not just a theory. Um, she, um, she made a humane statement, uh, for the most part, but it was disturbing to me because of, uh, the moral equivalence built into it. Basically, what she said is the following. She said that we all grieve for the 
civilians who were killed in Israel. That was wrong. That is condemned. The world is aware of it. The world is rightly denouncing it. And then she goes, but, and it's a very big but, she goes, I don't see the same level of condemnation, the same level of compassion when you have civilians on the Palestinian side who are killed. So basically what she was calling for is, in her view, a a single standard of evaluation or assessment. Let's realize, she says, that all civilians are innocent. They are not the perpetrators of these attacks. And so one should condemn with an equal voice. This is the key point. The the, uh, Hamas attacks on Israeli civilians and the Israeli attacks on Palestinian civilians. So you can see that this is a message that will actually, well, it will resonate with Muslims around the world. I think it's pretty clear. It will also resonate with a lot of other people, and it will certainly be taken up by progressives in this country who will say, look, here's a reasonable person who is um, warning against the excesses that the Israelis are committing and are going to commit against the uh, against the Palestinians. So, Debbie and I were talking about this and sort of uh, assessing the logic of this. And we don't think that there's a whole lot of logic to it for a couple of reasons. Debbie actually gave an analogy, which I think is pretty inspired. And so I'm going to plagiarize it from her. She goes, there he goes again, my ideas. And he says them. everyone was, Dinesh is so smart. Dinesh is so brilliant. It's really Debbie behind the scenes, the puppeteer coming up with these ideas, right? Eddie? <laughs> I'm embarrassing her now, but but anyway, the analogy, really good one. She says, look, imagine you're going on the highway, you're driving your car, and you are assaulted by a group of carjackers who come in their own car, and let's say they block your car, they jump out of the car, and um, they try to attack you. Um, but they come with their children. They actually bring some family members with them who happen to be in the car. Now, you happen to have a gun, you're armed, and so when you see them approaching you, guns drawn, and let's just say they open fire and they start shooting at you, uh, you pull out your gun, uh, they run back and take refuge behind their car, and they're shooting at you, and you shoot back at them, and you kill some of their family members. Are you guilty of, quote, killing civilians? Is this the same thing as if the carjackers had gotten you, they had pulled you out of the car, they pulled your wife out of the car, they raped your wife, they killed your kids in cold blood, and then they took your car? No, there's no equivalence here. On the one hand, they are the attackers. You are the attacked. Number two, they are deliberately targeting civilians. They're choosing to commit these atrocities, which they don't have to commit. Even if they were just stealing your car, they could just take the car. Or even if you're the target, why would they go after your family? Uh, you are not going after their family. That's not your objective. You are in self-defense, shooting back at the attackers. And if their family members are killed, it is incidental damage. It's not something that is intended by you. It's not something that you are, you seek to happen. It is the collateral damage of you aiming in, in full justice to protect yourself and in this situation. So apply this analogy to Israel. The Israelis are defending themselves. They're striking back at people who attacked them first. They are not targeting civilians. They're targeting Hamas targets. And if Palestinian civilians get killed along the way, It's not the same thing as what Hamas did. Mike Lindell just keeps introducing great deals. He's featuring the new MyPillow My Towels. Now you can save 50% on the six-piece towel set, regular price $59.96. But now, for a limited time, 
$29.98 with promo code Dinesh. Debbie and I have Mike's My Towels all over our house. We love them for ourselves. We also are stocking up on them to give them as Christmas presents. Very practical. My Towels six-piece set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths. This stuff is amazing. The long staple length of the Sherpa cotton fibers makes them very soft because of the long fibers. They wrap around each other more easily, creating a smoother and softer fabric. Very soft to the touch, but without the lotion-y feel. And they're also super absorbent. Take advantage of this 50% off of the six-piece towel set. Call 800-876-0227. Again, the number 800-876-0227. Or go to MyPillow.com to get the discount. You need to use the promo code. It's D-I-N-E. E-S-H Dinesh. Guys, I'm really delighted to welcome to the podcast a new guest, Mark Kahlberg. He's an Israeli security expert, actually based in Israel. He's the director of MKISC and MK International Security Consulting. Uh, this is a guy with an amazing record. He served in the South African Defense Force, the Israel Defense Force, the Israel National Police. He is, uh, in fact, the architect of some unique ideas, including a unique program called the Secure Zone Concept. And uh, he is currently assisting the Israel Police International Spokespersons Unity as a volunteer. The website, by the way, mksecurityconsulting.com. Uh, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining from from Israel. Let's begin by asking, what is the latest situation uh, in Israel now? Is there the danger of a new attack? Or is Israel in a position where we've absorbed the attack, we've seen what's happened, we've now uh, secured um, the country, and it's now time to go back and go after the bad guys? Finish to be honest, we've been attacked for the last 18 days in a row, including today, and including quite a serious incident last night, which the IDF thwarted with a, a group of terrorists coming through from Gaza, via the sea, and trying to attack, again, another kibbutz, uh, another village uh, on, on the seashore. They were thwarted. They were caught at sea by our Navy and by our Air Force, and uh, taken out, pretty much. Um, just today, we've had some uh, missile fire from a uh, rocket fire from Gaza, uh, basically going into Eilat, which is the first. Eilat is the southernmost Red Sea border part of, of Israel, and uh, going much further north. Obviously, the Lebanon border is uh, is heated up. Things are happening in Lebanon, but on a very, let's call it a lower scale in, in the meantime. Um, but certainly there's, there's uh, anti-tank fire, and the IDF is responding. The Israeli police, um, who are in charge of our internal security in Israel, are dealing you know, with classic crime and dealing with the terror threat all the time. So it's quite a, quite a situation. We, we at war. Mark, uh, can you give us an idea of the... Well, it's hard to use the word logic of terrorism, but if I think back to the 70s and 80s, a lot of times what the terrorists would do is take hostages. And the logic of it was obvious. They wanted something in return, and so they would take over a plane, and they would say, we'll only release the passengers if you do X, Y, or Z. What is the logic from the Hamas and Iran point of view of launching a kind of attack on civilians, an attack that is sure to provoke a strong response? There is no logic. 
There cannot be logic. There's no logical thought process in doing what these monsters, these savages did on the 7th of October. Um, if we could share with you the atrocities that these people did, rape, burning people, putting landmines underneath two bodies so that when the emergency first responders came to try and give them first aid, they were also blown up. Uh, beheadings. The videos and the pictures that I've sadly been witness to and I've seen, I haven't been there. It's, it's, words cannot describe. You cannot describe what people saw there. And, you know, I, I come from the police. I've spoken to police officers who have survived. We've had 58 policemen killed on, on the 7th of October. For Israel, that's a lot of policemen. It's, it's a full police station. And, it's it's a it's a tragedy, but Israel is strong, and I think that these violent monsters called Hamas terrorists, I think they are going to get what they deserve. Can you give us some idea, Mark? About you've been very involved in establishing security zones and ways to sort of insulate cities and populations from this kind of attack. I'm sure there's a lot of internal examination in Israel. And, and there's, of course, an equally important question about U.S. intelligence agencies, but is there any um, determination so far about how such a massive attack could have penetrated without seemingly being detected at all? I'm not privy to um, investigation. Uh, I'm, I'm a civilian today. Um, I've heard on the TV politicians and military people come out openly and say we've had flaws I guess that um, our allies maybe also had flaws uh, the intelligence I imagine was there but wasn't dealt with I'm not sure so I, I don't want to say anything that I, I don't know um, on a personal level the writing has been on the wall for a long time and maybe not the scope and what we saw happen uh, uh, was was thinkable, was imaginable. Who could have thought that Hamas would do something that makes ISIS look like nice school kids? And do you understand what I'm saying? This is a, this is an attack, and and it's a, it's this, the world's scariest movie. Danish cannot describe in words of the of, of the, the scenes that I've seen there. I've I've been in sixteen terror attacks. I've I've been at the scene of what was the worst terror attack in Israel in the Jewish Passover of 2002, the, the, the Passover attack in Netanya. We, we carried out bodies on tables from the, the dining hall. That, for me, was post-trauma. I suffered from post-trauma because of that. But what I see now, I mean, you, you don't want to compare a terror attack with a terror attack, but this is something that the world needs to wake up and understand that this is not only about Israel. This is going bigger. This I have Christian friends. I have Jewish friends. I have Muslim friends around the world that cannot believe what I've shown them and, sh and spoken to them about. They cannot believe. It's got nothing to do with anything else but pure brutality. It's inhumane. It's, it's savage. I don't have the words to describe what, what I've seen. We'll be right back with Mark Kahlberg, the website mksecurityconsulting.com. Okay, guys, I'd like to invite you to check out my Locals channel and become an annual subscriber. Here's the deal. 
If you become an annual subscriber, you get the new film, Police State, for free. It's included in your annual subscription. And you get a whole bunch of other films, as I'm about to tell you about. I post a lot of exclusive content on Locals, including content that's censored on other social media platforms. I also post, Debbie and I, some personal stuff that you get to get a window into our family. On Locals, you basically get Dinesh Unchained, Dinesh Unfiltered, Dinesh Uncensored. You also interact with me directly. I do a weekly Q&A every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic is off limits. I'll be doing some Q&A, responding to questions about the movie over the next few weeks. I've also uploaded some cool films to locals, documentaries, feature films, mine, but also films by other independent producers. 2,000 Mules is up there. And the new film, of course, Police State. I'll be giving you the inside scoop on locals. As I mentioned, if you're an annual subscriber, you can stream and watch it for free. So check out the channel. It's Dinesh.locals.com. I'd love to have you along for this great ride. Again, it's Dinesh.locals.com. I'm back with security expert Mark Kahlberg, based in Israel. He's the director of MKISC and MK International Security Consulting. His website, MKSecurityConsulting.com. Mark, you were talking about the just inhumane, the savage, the bestial conduct of these terrorists. And it struck me that uh, even though sometimes people are accused of making exaggerated comparisons to the Nazis, in some ways you'd have to say here that these guys uh, paraded their brutality in the way that even the Nazis did not. I mean, the Nazis, for example, put their death camps outside of Germany. The idea was we don't want to show the German people what we're doing. Whereas it looked like uh, with Hamas, they were jubilant. They were boastful. They were almost putting this on exhibition. Look what we did. Uh, and that gives you an idea that you're not only doing evil, you're not even trying to hide it. Irish, you, you, you're 100% correct. It's, it's, it's what they did, how they did it, and they videoed everything. They used GoPro cameras, they used their cell phones, and they videoed atrocities that I don't think there is an international court in the world that can punish them. They should be, they're not worthy of being human beings, what they did. When I say atrocities, burning people alive, tying two people, to a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, tying them together, raping them and burning them, that is, that is not human, and filming it and showing it. And this is something I, I strongly, on one side I'm saying, yes, you can't show people, you can't show normal, sane people this type of carnage. But on the other side, the world needs to see because somebody has to show this type of thing. And, and if we don't show it, we're always going to be questioned. Israel's always going to be the bad guy. Do we compare it to the Nazis in, in the Second World War, the Holocaust? We can compare it, but it's much more savage because of the video. Yes, the Nazis did try and hide everything. They didn't do it, 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 it overtly. They did it covertly. They tried as much as they could, obviously. But this was premeditated. It was down purpose. They knew they were going to take one or two hostages. I don't think that they dream they would take 220 hostages and just the savagery that they've done on the way is is it's sickening i saw a statement mark uh, yesterday i believe it's from the queen of jordan and i want to sort of lay out her her logic and have you sort of respond to it she said yeah we have to have a a uniform standard here. She said, we rightly condemn what happened to the Jews and what happened in Israel. 
But she said, we also have to show an equal consideration to civilians who are killed in retaliation in Gaza. And now, I think she was appealing to a sort of ancient logic of proportionality, which says that, okay, there are so many people who are harmed in Israel, we got to make sure that not more than that are harmed on the Palestinian side. To me, there's a sort of fallacious moral equivalence here, uh, because number one, who started it? You know, uh, and number two, uh, for the Israelis to truly have proportionality, you would have to go into Gaza and do exactly to the Palestinian civilians what Hamas did, which is obviously not what Israel or the IDF is going to do. So can you talk a little bit about this attempt? And it's some of it is kind of well meaning, but I think very misguided to say in effect that Israel has now got to be corralled and curtailed to a standard that does not exceed the law of proportionality. There is no proportion to what happened here. And I don't think she understands. I would be very happy to share with her, to invite her, and show her the evidence for her to see. And who started this? Not Israel. I can tell you right now, I was the police spokesman in this, well, not the police spokesman, but in the spokesperson's unit in 2005 in the disengagement from Gaza, and Israel disengaged from Gaza. They got so much money over the years to build a, a, a Riviera. They have they have a beautiful beach. Instead of building a community and a country and everything that they could have done, they chose to go to war. And this war hasn't been, the war was started officially now. But this has been going on since 2005, we, way longer. With the missiles and the rockets, every year they play a, a game with firing rockets. We, we are... A defense force. Israel is a strong country. Why do they want to do this? They have a special, if you understand the ideology of, I don't care if you call them Hamas or Hezbollah or everybody's under the same umbrella. And the Queen of Jordan maybe realizes this. Maybe she's trying to appeal to a certain group. But she should know that we didn't start this. We gave them the opportunity. They have so much money. Where's the leadership? of Hamas today. You tell me. The leadership sitting in Qatar, in somewhere drinking champagne maybe, or maybe they don't because they say they're religious, but I guess people could prove different. Flying around in private jets. Do they care about their people? Do they care about the Quran which says don't kill? Don't kill babies and old women and old men? Where was that? Were the commanders taking in control of the Quran? Maybe the Muslim community of the world can come out and tell the queen that the Quran says don't do what Hamas did. I mean, it would seem that there could be no moral code in the world that could give any sort of justification for what happened. Um, and, um, well, uh, it seems that let's, let me ask you, ask in conclusion, are you confident that now the Israelis are united enough, strong enough, determined enough to carry out the task of just finally defeating Hamas so that that, that particular doesn't end terrorism in the world and probably not even in the Middle East, but at least that particular force is squelched for the foreseeable future. I I, I think, Danish, that the, the IDF, the Israel Defense Force, I think the people of Israel, you know, I'm going to say it like this. Internal security in Israel, people don't know this, but is 
The Israeli police controls internal security. The IDF does nothing within Israel except the Home Front Command in case of emergency, search and rescue, so forth and so on. The very same Home Front Command that goes to countries after tsunamis and disasters and earthquakes to help. The IDF is our Israel Defense Force. And if you notice, we haven't attacked first. We've been attacked. We defend. But the people of Israel have come together. So the Hamas has done us a favor. We were split for the last year. The people of Israel were split. The Hamas has done us a great favor. They've brought us together. They've made a mistake, a huge mistake. And I think that the government of Israel, the military and the police inside Israel are determined to get rid of Hamas because it will be doing the world a favor. The Jews in Israel, the Muslims in Israel, the Druze, the Bedouins, the Circassians, the Hindu, everybody in Israel is together. The Hamas killed from all religions, not just Jews. And the world needs to know that they are in the Israeli police. I can tell you in the Israeli police, they are Muslims. They are Bedouins. Do you know how many Bedouins were killed? Bedouins are Muslim. The Hamas killed Muslims. Where's the world? Do they know about that or doubt it? Wow. We um, will win this battle. We will win this war. And let's hope that the decision makers get rid of Hamas. Mark Alberger, thank you very much for joining me. This the website mksecurityconsulting.com. Very informative. Thank you, Dinesh. Thank you so much for having us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is talking about, it's continuing his discussion of interrogation techniques in the gulag. So here we go. Light effects. So you can imagine what this is. The use of light, psychedelic light, also darkness to create an atmosphere of terror, of confusion, and of fear. He also talks about the box. So the box is a small kind of packing case, and you put the prisoner in the box, and, quote, he can sit down, but which is sometimes dark and constructed in a way that he can only stand up and even then is squeezed against the door, and he is held there for several hours. So you're sort of immobilized inside a box. The accused could also be compelled to stand on his knees, not in some figurative sense, but literally to sit on his knees without sit- sitting back on his heels and with his back upright. And Solzhenitsyn says this is sometimes compelled for 12 or even 24 or 48 hours. Who is it aimed at? Uh, one already broken, already inclined to surrender. It's also a good method to use with women. In one case, of Solzhenitsyn, having set young Lorik Pinadzi on his knees, the interrogator urinated in his face. And what happened? Unbroken by anything else, Lord Nikomadze was broken by this. So it's the, it's the surprise element. It's the, the kind of sheer degradation of it. And you're like, okay, I cannot, I can't take it anymore. So here are the prisoners. They cannot sleep. But says Solzhenitsyn, the interrogator himself could go home, sleep, amuse himself in one way or another. This was an organized system. Watch was kept over the kneeling prisoner and the guards worked in shifts. So they don't even have to stick around and observe the whole thing. I'll stay for a few hours and I'll move on. Another guy comes in and then Solzhenitsyn moves on. He's now talking. This is number 20. 
They ordinarily deprived a person of water. There you go. Dehydration and the uh, kind of effect of that on the body. Sleeplessness, which they quite failed to appreciate in medieval times. Here, Solzhenitsyn almost whimsically alluding to history. You know, there were a lot of medieval torturers and you can go these days to museums and see the various, the rack and the ways to crop off your ears. But somehow the very simplest thing, don't let the guy sleep, didn't seem to occur to the um, to the sort of practitioners of the Inquisition or other types of ancient torture. They did not understand, writes Solzhenitsyn, how narrow are the limits within which a human being can preserve his personality intact. Our body has a kind of daily or circadian rhythm. It uh, needs sleep. You deprive it of sleep and the whole system, in a sense, begins to shake, begins to break down. And this is now understood, says Solzhenitsyn, by the modern, which is to say, in his case, the 20th century, but obviously, by extension, the 21st century torturers. Well, we think, for example, today of prisoners in solitary confinement. They don't do these exact tortures, but solitary confinement is a form of torture. Imagine being in a cell for, what, 23 hours a day. You have little or no access to light. You don't have books. You don't have a TV. You have nothing to occupy yourself with. You're just sitting there, sometimes in the darkness or semi-darkness, and you are looking at the wall for minute upon minute, hour upon hour. I would submit that that is a torture not incomparable to some of the things that Solzhenitsyn is describing. Quote, they didn't let you sleep? Well, after all, this is not supposed to be a vacation resort. The security officials are awake, too. This is what they say. This is Solzhenitsyn giving the kind of contemptuous rationale. And then he goes, no, the security guys are catching up on their sleep during the day. They're keeping you awake at night and they, they're doing a night shift, but they sleep plenty during the day. One can say that sleeplessness has become the universal method in the organs, the organs of the system, organs of the state. It became an integral part of the system. The above method, writes Solzhenitsyn, was further implemented by an assembly line of interrogators. Not only were you not allowed to sleep, but for three or four days, shifts of interrogators kept up a continuous interrogation. And so we've heard of, in fact, I describe in police state interrogations that are five hours, six hours, seven hours long. Imagine extending that to days. One interrogator interrogates you for hours and he leaves. Another guy comes in and he begins. The the process just continues. Um, There's a line, I think, that Steve Friend, the FBI um, whistleblower, uses in the film that the process is the punishment. And sure enough, that's the case here. The process itself is part of the punishment. It's not the whole punishment because the interrogation is a prelude to incarceration. And that's coming next. But the interrogation is the beginning of the the torture, the beginning of the what the gulag is going uh, to to do to you. And then in the cells, writes Solzhenitsyn, a human being was systematically worn down also by starvation and also by cold. Occasionally they use heat. But think about these basic elements. The, The human body normally takes so much for granted. We take for granted the air that we breathe in. We take for granted that we're, we're going to be within a temperature that the human body can, can, can endure. And so what you do is you control those basic things. You control water. You control food. You control air. You control light. And in these ways, you take the organism, just the physical organism called the human being, 
and systematically break it down. It's that crushing of the body accompanied by a crushing of the spirit that is the essence of the police state and the essence of the Gulag Archipelago. Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 